Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello and welcome back, everyone, for episode 34 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I am Pastor Mark. And today we want to we wanna hope that you had a great uh, week after Easter. I know we both did. We had a little bit slower weeks here at Almond Valley, mm-hmm. or should I say Almond Valley, <laughs> uh, for those of you who aren't from Ripon. Uh, but yeah, Pastor Mac, Pastor Mac, Pastor Mark just got back from his vacation to the coast, and I had my wedding this past weekend. So my mind has been in a million different places. I should say that I have been married for over a year now, but mm-hmm. my wife and I were one of the COVID casualties, you could say, and we didn't get to have our wedding with our gathered friends and family, and so we decided to postpone all of that until. This past weekend, and so we're just now getting back into the swing of things here at church, mm-hmm. and we've decided to sort of take up uh, where we left off for episode 32 a little bit. Uh, we were talking about fallen leaders back uh, for that episode, and so today we're talking about what we're going to call nomadic spirituality. Uh, so we're going to have the opportunity to look a little bit at nomadic leaders, leaders who are sort of uh, rogue. They can they do things a little <laughs> bit ranger on their own. Types, They're lone yeah. ranger types, often yeah. with little or no accountability. And then we'll also turn a little bit towards the end towards uh, nomadic lay people who sort of practice what we might call an a la carte Christianity. And so what do we mean by nomadic leaders? Let's dig into that one a little bit. As I said, it says some This has mostly to do with people who have little to no spiritual accountability, nobody Mm -hmm. around them to to keep them on task. Mm -hmm. And I I think that one thing I'll say right at the beginning of this is that often nomadic leaders start with perfectly good intentions. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have some knowledge in a particular area. Maybe you begin to blog or you begin a YouTube channel or like us, you begin a podcast. Um, often nomadic leaders can be variously qualified, some <laughs> very qualified and some not so qualified. Um, but it, it often they start from a good place wanting to answer questions and then they begin, begin to amass a large following, a very, very large following. Sometimes many, many times it's multiple thousands of people who subscribe or who read their blog and their their following becomes a little bit bigger than they ever intended it to mm. become and so we wanted to talk about the implications of this and what it, what it means for Christians on the ground who are living their lives trying to learn trying to grow in their faith uh, but also what are some of the dangers in all of this mm. and as we've said, in the past episode, a lot of this has been brought on by recent conversations we've been having over the last few years with fallen leaders 
Um, most recently, the big one, of course, is Ravi Zacharias. Uh, but we 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 want to speak pastorally to this issue as much as we possibly can uh, to help guide people through this. Because after all, here we are recording a podcast. And so we don't want to say that, that podcasting or YouTubers or bloggers are something you should avoid, but it's a little bit of uh, a warning to, to take take into account the fact that these these leaders often don't have the qualifications or the accountability structures around them uh, to keep them on task and on target, and that can become a spiritually dangerous phenomenon. Yeah, I I think to put a really fine point on it, I think of somebody like Rachel Hollis right now. Hmm. So um, my wife and I had heard of her, and I think there was a little Amazon Prime documentary that I'm pretty sure she produced Hmm. that was um, about how she grew this um, lifestyle influencer empire. Yeah. Um, And she very much set out to do that. So it was very intentional. Um, all the way down to the Instagram account and the filters that are used and so forth. It's like you can, she found, she's an attractive woman. And so she's got that checked off already. You know, you can't be ugly and be one of these types of people. And so it's like, she's got the the handsome husband and the cute kids. And, and so all Mm -hmm. that is promoted and manicured and, um, manufactured and then it just becomes this thing that grew and grew and grew and then she has two bestsellers and um she kind of spoke it into existence you might say based on just following all these these uh these um sort of criteria for what an influential person looks like all the while uh i'm watching the documentary thinking this person really is not out for the glory of the lord or um, a desire to grow the church as much as grow her media empire and so forth. And yeah. so one could read one of her books and think, wow, this is pretty encouraging stuff. Um, but you should ask, what are her credentials? Does this person have, have they thought through complicated issues? Joel Osteen is another great example of this where, um, to my knowledge, I don't believe he has any kind of seminary training um, his dad was the pastor of that church, and they're already grooming Joel and Victoria's son to be sort of the next in line to take over the media empire. And there, the credential is nepotism, right? So um, also, yeah, he's a handsome guy and, mm-hmm. and so forth. He's a smooth talker. And and so the target audience of this podcast, of course, is the layperson who consumes a lot of this material. Um mm-hmm. And so we just want to ask the the broad question, what are the credentials? What yeah. is the expertise? Is the person that you're listening to actually an authority on the things of God, the kingdom of God, the Bible? Um, mm-hmm. Is this a wise person? Or is this a person who is a sort of understands how to play the game yeah. on YouTube and, and understands how to get the, the clicks and so forth? And so, therefore, they have a following. Yeah, this is a big, broader conversation that's happening in the church. What is the place of the Christian celebrity, right? Yeah. In the Bible's sort of taxonomy of, of leaders, there's really no place for 
for this. That's sort of unheard of in in the New Testament as far as I'm aware. Uh, You could make some sort of argument that the apostles as traveling church planters and evangelists Mm -hmm. would have been well known far beyond any given uh, local region. There were apostles who stayed in Jerusalem, like James, and just did their ministry there. So Paul could have been, you know, maybe the argument could go that he was the first Christian celebrity, um, in a sense. I don't think Paul necessarily was going viral and being, you know, (laughs) followed by by millions, Um, but he was well known beyond just one, you know, locality. and in, in our world today, though, celebrity is often something that can be, you know, sought out from the beginning, like a Rachel Hollis type, or it can it, it can be given to people mm-hmm. whether they like it or not. Uh, sometimes people just create interesting content that gets followed by by many people. One example I can think of, even in our own denomination and in our own classes, is the work of Pastor Vol- Paul Vanderclay mm-hmm. um, up in Sacramento whose YouTube channel has, I don't know, several thousand people who follow him. And he has really interesting conversations about Jordan Peterson and all sorts of other mm-hmm. philosophical questions people online are wondering about. And he has sort of become like a YouTube pastor mm-hmm. to many people. And I don't think that that was ever his goal per se, uh, but whether he likes it or not, he sort of has this following. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is is disillusioned young people who are interested in spiritual conversations but have a difficult time with the church. And so mm-hmm. he has sort of become a pastor to the unchurched for sure, uh, who are really interested in those kinds of conversations but wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians or religious. Um, and I don't think what, what Paul is doing is by any means bad or necessarily mm-hmm. bad uh he's he's trying to scratch an itch mm-hmm. and has mm-hmm. taken his channel to to heights farther than what he thought and i don't think paul <laughs> is by any means a celebrity uh, i don't think he's on the level of lots of other big authors or pastors or conference speakers uh, but it is an interesting phenomenon to, yeah. to to be following along with, and so well, and and to the point too of the Apostle Paul, um, two Pauls here at work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Apostle Paul recognized that he is going to be bouncing from Thessalonica to Corinth to um, to Rome and so forth. So he needs to be all the more clear about being a slave of Christ. Yeah. And so that is always. The first thing that he writes, Paul, an apostle, Mm -hmm. um, a servant of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So he, he, those aren't just greetings. That is an establishment of his, his apostolic authority, which is rooted in Christ. Hmm. And really, it's a statement of faith in a way too. Is Mm -hmm. is, this is going to be my message to you? It is grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Yeah. So. Um, that that would be my first challenge to the blogger, um, YouTuber, the person who's becoming influential is how clear are you about pointing people to Christ? Um, because the the more vague you are in that, the more they will be drawn to you as a as a person, and um, it's got to be more Pauline. It's hmm. it's got to be more rooted in that. Um, 
in the church, really, um, yeah. in, in the authority of Christ. It's not even in your own authority necessarily, but it's it's in Christ's um, ministry that we make YouTube videos and that we do yeah. a podcast and so forth. Um, yeah, amen to that. So, um, I, I, yeah, that that is where I would say it's not bad to do mm-hmm. a YouTube channel or Bishop Rob, uh, Robert Barron is the Catholic mm-hmm. guy that I like to listen to occasionally. Huge huge YouTube following yeah. and is very clear. He is a Catholic uh, bishop. He has desires that all his listeners would even become Catholic mm-hmm. and would respect Catholic doctrine and so forth. And I appreciate that clarity because it becomes less about him at a certain point than about real Christian ministry. Yeah. So I, I like your question. Just simply ask, taking the time to ask the question. This is for the yeah. person who follows these leaders what is their credential? What is their qualification? What are they pointing people this to? This isn't to say that you you have to have a perfect qualification. You have to have an MDiv. Sure. You have to have a PhD uh, or anything like that. Um, I've, I've read blogs by people who don't have any sort of degree in theology, and I've learned be- meaningful things from them. Um, but you should be curious about that, and it, and it should... That should regulate how much authority and mm-hmm. and trust you you sort of give to them, mm-hmm. um, and that is not a bad thing to do. You may think, well, the disciples were uneducated, and that's true, but they were not uneducated uh, in the in the sort of you know they're just like these bums that fought that walked around. <laughs> no, these guys studied under Christ. They had they would have had many many conversations about Christ with the scriptures. Christ opened the scriptures to them. So they had a very good education because their education was from the Lord himself. I often hear that argument about the disciples, and people use that to sort of ridicule uh, seminary education or Bible education or whatever it may be, any sort of training. That's not a bad thing. We we should be wondering what people's qualifications are. Uh, and, And we should also be really... I think suspicious even when we hear stories of leaders of maybe ministries or organizations who find it all too easy to buck authority and to uh, to dip and to dive and to dodge mm. authority whenever yeah. they can. Yeah. Uh, that is something that should make our red flags go up and we, we, we shouldn't shouldn't be looking around for thought leaders who act as though they have all the answers for every question. Now, yeah. I, I also want to say along with this, however, that again, often these people who who start these sorts of ministries or start these YouTube channels or they, these blogs do so for good reason. And it's very much in, in, in my experience, it's because Often there are lacunas or, or sort of blank spots of, of thought that the church doesn't always speak to mm-hmm. uh, as clearly or as thoroughly as people would like. And I think today this makes sense. If, if we only go to church for an hour on Sunday and our sermons are, we'll say, 35 minutes, then it will be difficult for the Christian to have every theological question answered by listening merely to what their pastor has to say. And so often people go in search of answers on the internet, and when they find somebody who seems to have a plausible or persuasive answer, 
it makes sense that they'll want to listen more to what this person has to say on all sorts of things. This is true for me. I'm sure Mark has has various people that he he loves to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could I could list off several. I won't do it, but mm-hmm. I, I've already mentioned them in the past. I'm sure on this podcast there are several very very smart authors and thinkers, uh, writers and speakers that I enjoy listening to that aren't from my church, but. I think I can say all of these these men and women that I look up to are deeply rooted in the life of a congregation. Mm-hmm. And if they're leaders, they're deeply rooted in the life of their leadership teams, whatever those teams may look like, whether they're, they're an organization or council, they're a church. Yeah. So you yeah, have an organization, they might have a board. If they're a church, they would have a council or something equivalent to that. And so... Those are the sort of things we should be thinking about and pondering uh, when it comes to nomadic leadership. Yeah, and uh, a a great example of this from the Bible, one that popped into my mind as Zach was just talking, is the seven sons of Sceva in um, Acts 19, Hmm. where uh, I'll just read from Acts 19. It's really interesting what's happening. They're basically these phonies who are saying the right kinds of things in order to drive out demons um but they run into some trouble so they they look okay on the surface but they're not the genuine article um it says some jews went around driving out evil spirits trying to invoke the name of the lord jesus over those who were demon possessed they would say in the name of jesus whom paul preaches i command you to come out seven sons of Sceva, a jewish chief priest were doing this one day the evil spirit answered them jesus i know and i know about paul but who are you and so the spirit is basically saying, Jesus is uh, has real authority. Paul has a real authority that is derived from Christ. It's mm-hmm. all Christ's authority, really. But who are you? Like, w- you're not actually living this out and believing mm-hmm. uh, in in the kingdom of Christ. You're just saying the right kinds of things in order to put on a show here. And so the reaction is one of the more comical ones. It mm-hmm. says, um, then the men. Who had the evil? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So um, it doesn't go well for the imposter. It doesn't go well for the person who is yeah. um, who is not really rooted in the kingdom, in a congregation, in the scriptures, in the true Christian faith. Uh, in in that case, they're exposed as imposters, and that is often what eventually happens for these sort of nomadic mm-hmm. um, blogger YouTuber. It's like, oh, whatever happened to so and so? Well, they sort of flamed out because often what propels their popularity is provocation, edginess, mm-hmm. and eventually those people run out of provocative things to say, and so. Um, interest wanes and people move on to the next person hmm. um hopefully uh our listeners to this podcast and really our friends our family the people of our church are valuing real scriptural truth are valuing the ministry of christ and far more than they would just value uh the spectacular work of the seven sons of Skiva or <laughs> this person who has this lifestyle brand that is right in trend right now yeah, this I think one of the things you said that stuck out to me was rootedness. Yeah. 
Um, and this whole conversation has a lot to do with bigger societal trends that are taking place before our eyes right now uh, in, in the late modern Western world of transience. Yeah. Um, it's really easy for us to move and to, to, you know, leave all of our roots behind, never turn back and to just go from one place to the next. It's kind of exciting in a way to start fresh mm -hmm. and that's sort of what people live for. And so lots of people move every few years. Uh, we often move to big cities and we sort of like the anonymity there. We don't like people knowing our lives and being connected to us so we like to just sort of keep to ourselves and as an introvert i'm speaking to myself here as well <laughs> um, it's very easy for me to sort of pull away from the world and to keep to myself and that feels comfortable and i like that yeah. uh, but this is a broader trend where people's lives are not as connected as they once were we have connections that are digitally mediated yeah. but we don't have physical, real relationships with people that we pour into uh, year after year. Yeah, a great example of this is when kids go to college. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, I would say it stokes my ego when I find out they still watch our service, when mm -hmm. even though they're far away at school. Yeah. But what I would really love for them is to find a church and mm -hmm. get involved in the life of a church in that place. Um, it's good, and, and that's to your point about being mediated like there can still be a mediated connection to whatever we have a taste for so oh yeah. um you know somebody goes away to school just want to feel that nostalgia i'm going to watch my home church you know mm -hmm. back uh, back in ripon or you know wherever this kid is from instead of doing the hard work of waking up getting ready going to church getting mm -hmm. you know some people have sharing awkward conversations um, that maybe you're only going to be there for three or four years, mm -hmm. but that's part of growing up is yeah. disconnecting in some ways from your, your home of origin um, mm -hmm. and uh, venturing into a new community to become rooted there. Mm -hmm. um, they, that might look like going back to the church of your origin, but um, doing so on more intentional grounds of like, I'm not just here because I grew up here, but I'm here to be rooted here so mm -hmm. that I might be a blessing to you and might be blessed by you. Um, it's so easy with media to just find that a la carte um, sort of kind of, oh, well, I'm, I'm feeling nostalgic. I'll look at this one. I'm feeling I need a, I need a real pep up. I'm going to watch Furtick today. <laughs> I, need, uh, I, need, mm -hmm. I need to get convicted. I'm going to watch Matt Chandler today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it can become that very easily because of media instead mm -hmm. of submitting to um, what the Spirit is doing, you mm -hmm. know, just down the road. Yeah, exactly. This is really a huge, a huge thing, and especially in younger generations yeah. like ours, uh, the millennials and for Generation Z, it's all too easy to do a pick-and-choose a la carte, Christianity, if you can even call it Christianity. Mm. Um, and this really makes me think of Paul's words of wisdom to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, uh, where he's telling Timothy to preach the gospel in season and out of season. And he says in verse 3 there of chapter 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
but having itching ears, they will accumulate. I like that word. Accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions Mm. and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is very perceptive of Paul, and it's very pastoral. He knows people's wayward hearts. He knows that people, if left to their own devices, would love to be able to accumulate people who say all the right things that they like to hear. And I'm sure we've all noticed that a little bit in the past year or so, Mm. uh, politically, Mm -hmm. theologically, and so on, of people just loving to hear what they like to hear. Uh, And this is very dangerous when it comes to our spirituality, to our Christianity, to our faith as believers. Uh, It's just accumulating teachers, authors, people who who agree with you and say all the same things that you like. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Hmm. a lot of Christians in our world will have huge questions about their faith. Uh, and they will look for answers and sometimes they will find answers that help them uh, go deeper into the, I would say, orthodox faith, the the orthodox historic Christianity that they uh, knew. Other times these answers will pull them further from that and they may sort of uh, wind up calling themselves, you know, progressive Christians. I hear that a lot. Uh, whatever the case, they may sort of come up with teachers who suit their their hobby horses and they become hobby horse Christians and they they take all these things that they're learning and think that everybody else has to know these things. Hmm. Uh, this, this happened in my own life for several years uh, where I began to finally understand Calvinistic soteriology or the theology of how salvation works and I began to really accumulate only Calvinistic people who mm-hmm. who agreed with what I was learning. And I thought anybody else is basically just a subpar Christian who doesn't teach the five points in every sermon, basically, or uh, who doesn't quote Calvin from the pulpit uh, regularly. And so I began to accumulate for me, for myself, teachers that suited my passions and I began to live very much in an echo chamber. Hmm. Um, and so Paul knew that this was a tendency of, of human people and of Christians even. And so he's commending Timothy here to be faithful, to preach, and to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified to these people week in and week out, knowing that these people will maybe even want to turn. They may not always like what you're saying, but you're going to have to do it anyways. Mm. (laughs) Um, And so even though he's speaking to one person, he's speaking to the sort of pastor of this congregation, he's speaking to the rest of us by, in in a way, indirectly calling us to root ourselves uh, in a church, to root ourselves to a body, even to commit ourselves to our pastors it's easy for me and Mark to say that because we are pastors, but that is no less true that that lay people, lay Christians are called to make covenant with their churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that this is one indirect argument you could make for church membership. Yeah. And so taking your church seriously and elevating, uh, or not elevating, but giving respect and honor 
to the pastor of your church. Not that they're always going to say perfect things. Not that they're always going to nail it because they don't. Mm -hmm. But to give sort of primacy to your local church and your local pastor. Yeah, there's there's a lot that... that, Sorry. Yeah. No, there's a lot that you're prompting me to think about there. Firstly, as as you were talking, I was thinking um, there's such an irony in this accumulating of all these different speakers because one would think that more options will mean more diversity of thought, hmm. but it's totally the opposite is what happens. More yeah. options will mean I will always get exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, it's... I, I used to sell shoes in high school and college. It was my job to sell athletic shoes and people would, older people would occasionally come in and be like, wow, there's 30 different running shoes to pick from. <laughs> I remember when it was just Converse all-stars and that was what you had to wear yeah. when you played basketball and when you went running for track and, um, hmm. it was just the Chuck Taylors. That was it. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they they were saying there, there's almost too much to choose right now. And I think that that's the way that a lot of people like their spirituality as well. Hmm. I Thinking, I'm going to get exactly what I want instead of, um, you know, like with the Chuck Taylor illustration, yeah. like being a little bit uncomfortable playing basketball, but... Um, you know, the, the shoe was good enough and they could they could play and that was okay and they just sort of got over it for the sake of the game at mm-hmm. a certain point. Um, and <laughs> I, I do think that that needs to happen a little bit more with churches where, um, yep, something might be uncomfortable for mm-hmm. a little bit, but getting over it for the sake of the kingdom, getting over it for the sake of spiritual growth is going to actually lead to stronger Christians um, interestingly who are more diverse in the people that they associate with and yeah. who they know um that's it, huge it's always a sad thing when i hear about a church particularly in a city this often happens if it's, especially if it's by a college campus that's just one demographic it's like the whole church is people between the age of 20 and 35 hmm. um that sounds really exciting but where is the wisdom from older people where where's the money coming from even right because people who are between those ages don't make almost any money and and so there's there's a lot of good things that happen um outside of our comfort zone and to be a member of a mid-sized church like our church which is fairly um diverse in its demographic we don't have as many younger people as we do people who are retired and mm-hmm. um and elderly um there's going to be all this great cross-pollination happening um, in a church like ours instead of just finding um, the trendy church for people my age. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to be said of the diversity that happens when you just have to get over um, the possibility that you might not get things exactly your way. Yeah. Uh, So... Yeah, there's there's a lot of spiritual growth that can yeah. and does happen in churches that don't always cater exactly to what you are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, now there are, there are sometimes examples of churches that are overly catered and geared towards a particular demographic that I think 
is also a really negative thing. We've all heard of maybe the cowboy churches <laughs> yeah, um, or motorcycle churches. Sure. I've seen even hardcore churches for like hardcore kids who listen to hardcore music. And it's almost as if you're, if you're not a hardcore fan, you can't really come to that church. I'd definitely say there are intellectual churches for like really smart people and you got to know all the, yeah. the big words to be there. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that is not not a great phenomenon, in my opinion. That's not helpful because it cuts people off from knowing any other people mm-hmm. who aren't like them. And that's one of the things that the, things, the, things that the church needs to continue improving at in our world is not becoming like the rest of the world. And the rest of the world right now is very much locked up into ideological silos. Mm. Now, the church needs to resist that as much as possible. This means that if you are a little bit more conservative minded and if if you're only at a church where everybody agrees with you on everything that's a problem and if you're a, if you're a little bit more progressively minded and you're only at a church where everybody agrees with you that's kind of a problem as well yeah. um, it's good to have a little bit of disagreement now of course this naturally brings on the whole conversation about what are the mm-hmm. essentials that every christian has to hold on to mm-hmm. um, and so that is a real part of this conversation as well. Um, but another thing I want to say also is that we live in a world that is so tied to expressive individualism that picking a church often becomes a lot like picking the clothing that you wear uh, because your choice of a church says something about you. And so we find it really hard to fit and to connect and to root ourselves in a church that, that doesn't fit our it doesn't ideas reflect doesn't us. reflect us yeah and those people that don't reflect us can be very annoying to us <laughs> they can be seen as obstacles uh, to us um, and up op- even opponents to us mm-hmm. that hold us back from having our church be a good reflection of who we think we are this is especially true i think in the political sense oh yeah yeah and that is a really dangerous thing and so yeah, oftentimes it's easier for younger people, at least I speak as speak as one and I know more, it's easy for us to say, you know what, forget the whole local church thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I'll go to a local church for a while until it starts to really rub on me or, or rub me the wrong way, and then I'm going to go to the next one. But really my commitment will be to a sort of hodgepodge collection of interesting podcasters or authors worship music worship music that i can listen to and that's really where my sort of sense of church happens even though i don't have that fellowship component Mm. um i i have christian friends over you know on friday nights and we drink a beer and we talk about theology so i have my fellowship there um Hmm. But this leads to a lifelong pattern of rootlessness that is really dangerous. And it actually robs you of a lot. Oh, man. It robs you of blessings that could be received. And it robs others of your blessings that you could give to them. And so it is absolutely essential to plug into a church, to find a church and it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to like it. It may not reflect everything you think about things. Um, and this year has been particularly difficult for a lot of people mm. with churches. Um, 
because now so many of the political tensions that were in many ways under the surface have now boiled over and now we see political affiliations on the surface whether people wear masks or not is, right. is still a big discussion uh, but part of this is i think just learning the virtue of meekness uh, learning the virtue of humility deference uh, of deference yeah and of saying god's love is for that person who annoys me <laughs> and my love should also be for them as well even though they don't reflect me they don't represent me very well they don't look like me they don't talk like me they don't mm. act like me uh, i'm going to stick it out uh, as long as i can now there may be a time to leave a church i'm not saying we should stay at a church forever but what what are your real reasons for for leaving and what yeah. are your real reasons for for uh, maybe for not feeling comfortable in staying at a church uh, if it's just for aesthetic reasons mainly, that's a problem. Yeah, and there's so many practical outworkings of what you were just talking about. Um, I think of um, if one withdraws from a local church into the podcast, YouTube, um, article reading world, um, then you're only going to be as well-rounded as your own tastes pull you into so mm -hmm. you're not which is going to be not well-rounded at all you're just going to end up so like for me i like to read first things.com it's a yeah it's all i would say a low level intellectual uh periodical written by christian authors about usually political kinds of things but often taking sort of the spiritual angle at political things it's mm -hmm. very interesting to me um but often what i need to hear is maybe more stuff about missions or like hmm. so this past sunday i had the sun the week off we went to another church and the sermon was about missions and i'm like you know i think i need to talk more as a pastor about worldwide hmm. missions hmm. Uh, I, I don't broach that subject very much um yeah. because i can get distracted uh and i think that connecting yourself to a local church is going to end up leading to a more well-rounded person and it's going to force people to think about all kinds of things that you wouldn't seek out on your own. I, I think of a sermon that hmm. uh, that I preached several years ago and the sermon was about dying and um, so I was doing a series on eschatology and I wanted to do a whole sermon on dying as a Christian hmm. and I was thinking there were a lot of people, young people, who would probably have thought, I don't need to really hear about this. This is like a sermon for older people who mm -hmm. are maybe going to die in the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. But um, everyone needs to think about dying. And yeah. um, I don't think that you're going to hear that sermon at the hipster church because they're not thinking about dying there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they're thinking about having a family and, you know. Uh, about growing, about um, life. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, when you're at a, uh, a church that has is more diverse demographically, you're going to be forced to think uh, outside of your little world. I, I think the same kinds of things Amen. of being in a racially diverse congregation mm -hmm. where people are going to be sensitive to different kinds of issues and you're going to have to wrestle with those things with other believers and people that you love. You're gonna have to have 
conversations, for example, about Black Lives Matter with black people. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you're going yeah, to have totally. to have conversations about um, uh, health care with people who can't afford health care. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like all of those things happening when you get will happen when you get rooted. And uh, if you're just sort of this nomadic Christian, you're not actually going to have hard conversations, I don't think, maybe not as often, with people who see things differently. Mm. Um, even something as simple as little sermon illustrations, it's like if I give a sermon illustration for a family and somebody who's listening to this podcast is older, then they're being forced to think like somebody who's 30 with little kids. Mm-hmm. And that's good for them. It's not like everything just has to be so finely tuned and tailored to your taste in order for it to be useful. It's good for a young person to think about dying. It's good for an older person to think about having kids again. Mm -hmm. And that's how we become uh, the body of Christ enjoying communion. Yeah, that's very, very true. Intergenerational, interdemographic, having to think (laughs) through people's life experiences that are different from ours and it's particularly useful for for people who would otherwise lack those those thoughts so i think yeah preaching a sermon about dying is absolutely essential for people to grapple with their mortality whether they're four years old or 94 years old Mm -hmm. Uh, we need to have those kinds of conversations so one to sort of change gears a little bit here mark i want to sort of ask the question what would we say to somebody who is sort of a spiritual nomad mm. and maybe they don't really have roots at any given church, no church that they've gone to really suits them. Maybe they have a church that they've found online that's across the country or maybe mm. even across the world that they sort of long that they could go to. Uh, they sort of measure every other local church around them <laughs> against that sort of standard this happens a lot with Doug Wilson's church in <laughs> Moscow, Idaho right now, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. People in California just watch Doug, you know, up yeah. in Idaho. Yeah. Especially now that we were we've been doing church, you know, online. The the world has. We not everybody has. We haven't yeah. been on online uh for well we haven't been primarily online for a long time. Um but yeah, what would we say to that yeah. that nomadic person? Uh well what are some words of of wisdom? The um look at the marks of the true church and value those things. So Hmm. one of the marks is, of course, the preaching of the gospel, which you can uh, receive through media, through internet. Mm -hmm. But the second mark of the church is the celebration of the sacraments. Yeah. And so that is where I would say uh, a YouTuber, a podcaster cannot baptize you and cannot administer the sacrament to you mm-hmm. in in the way that it is meant to be done. I suppose mm-hmm. that it possibly could happen. Um <laughs> like but mail it to you but maybe. <laughs> or I don't know, you you would you would take communion um watching a screen and somebody would be offering it, but there there isn't real communion there because there's no relationship there. Communion mm-hmm. is really about a family meal. Yeah, it's it's a relational act yeah. um yeah. and sacrament. And so is baptism by the way. But um mm-hmm. I would say don't absolutize only the first mark of the true church is the gospel preaching um, or, yeah. you know, more broadly, one could say worship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but include that second mark of um, celebrating the sacrament in a meaningful way with people that you know. Hmm. So that mm-hmm. that could even apply to the mega church goer or non-denominational sort of person who just does things locally, very distantly, but jumps in. And maybe they do participate in communion. Maybe hmm. maybe they've been baptized at a church, but it's not a meaningful relational sacrament because yeah. they don't even know the pastor. Um, they don't yeah. even know the the people, the person sitting next to them, who they're sharing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ with. Mm-hmm. And so um, that isn't. I don't just say that in judgment, but I say that calling people into a better hmm. way of participating in the life of the church. Because um, our church is by no means perfect. It is not a perfect <laughs> church. However, when we participate in communion and I'm looking out at the people I am administering the sacrament to, I know every single person's name. And honestly, I would say of the 200 mm-hmm. or so, 215 people who are at a typical communion service, I, I know a little bit of what's going on in just about everybody's life. Uh, a little bit um yeah. to some extent I, I you know um mom's sick uh because there's a lot of family relational stuff too in our church where like mm-hmm. if there's one sickness then that'll impact six families or something yeah um and that is how it's meant to be enjoyed uh yeah and and not in a sentimental way it's not as though oh we're just a happy family here and we know each other that's not the main benefit of it mm-hmm. but the main benefit is and I know you, Christ's body and blood were given for you, and that's going to help you in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at the next person, and you're in your struggling marriage or you're unemployed. Christ's body and blood were given for you to give you hope, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's different. Christ's body and blood were given for you, who just got out of prison, to call you into a life of repentance and trusting in him and living in his grace. And so yeah. there, there's like... Everyone's looking around maybe a little bit, and that's a good thing. And um, we're rooted not just in the church, but we're sort of uh, tied to each other mm-hmm. in a more profound way. And um, I would say, secondly, as maybe this will be my last comment for this podcast even, is is to enjoy the benefit of long relationship that mm-hmm. is often evidenced at a funeral. So... Um, it would truly blow the minds of many urban transient people to mm. come to a funeral at our church. And yeah. uh, I'll talk, I'll even talk with family members sometimes and be like, yeah, I, I officiated a funeral. It was for somebody who lived a really wonderful full life, 84 years old. And mm. most people would assume that's a pretty little gathering, but at our church, it's going to be about 300 people yeah, um, who would come and they knew jerry because she was over at the uh uh, interfaith serving homeless people Mm -hmm. food for 40 years and they've Mm -hmm. served with her there or they heard her play the organ and it's just saintly young or a saintly woman who who lived a great life and and um unfortunately we couldn't celebrate her funeral uh with, with a big gathering because of COVID, but there would have been 350 people at that funeral mm-hmm. um, if we would have gathered everyone together. And uh, that's not just in a tragic case is my point. Sometimes there'll be a big gathering if somebody's in a car accident and and uh, yeah. the connections are, are, are stronger maybe a little bit when you're younger because sports and social things like that. But And the, the fact yeah. is that lots more of your 
social connections are still are alive. alive. Yeah, at there's that point. That. Yeah, but for us, um, for an older person, uh, you'll find a, a full generational span of mm-hmm. people at a funeral for an older person like that. So yeah, um, I don't say that pridefully, but I do say that to point out that that is a reality for community in our world. And I think that a lot of young people in particular who bounce around cities um, don't realize the the benefit of a long-term commitment um, that is in just partially evidenced by a funeral of people who gather to support a family member uh, who, yeah. who's, who's died, a, a Christian brother, sister in Christ. Um, yeah, it reveals so much social capital. Yeah. It's something that it's we don't have as much we millennials and generation zers zoomers <coughs> we don't have mm-hmm. as much social capital often um because we we exist in a more transient society and that's how we live our lives something i would add to that and i think those are both absolutely essential look for a church that is preaching the gospel so it has to do with uh look for a church that is doctrinally mm-hmm. strong um now that's relative according to what you, the listener, thinks is being a doctrinally strong church. But So that means it's also incumbent upon you to know, uh, to be able to differentiate a good doctrinally healthy church from a doctrinally unhealthy church. Yeah. So you'll have to do some of your own homework. Um, but that needs to be said. That's the first mark of the church, the church that preaches the gospel and ministers the sacraments. Um, we could even add to that church discipline yeah. a church that holds you accountable and so on that can only be done where you people know each other yeah ex- exactly um so my little advice would be uh, this is more practical advice um don't don't change churches every every week if you're if you're in the middle of a looking for a church sort of season and say you narrow your search down to five churches in your area uh, I would say give it three or four weeks mm-hmm. at a church before going on to the next one. Maybe this means you might have to whittle your list down even more mm-hmm. to your top two or three, um, but, give, but give it a few weeks. Um, not every week is exactly representative of a church. Um, you'll see things if you plant yourself there for a few weeks mm-hmm. in a row that you wouldn't mm-hmm. see if you were only there once. Um, and so I think that that's really helpful. This is how I did it when I was in seminary in Orlando. I would visit a few churches a few times uh, before I sort of committed for the rest of the semester to one church. And then <laughs> my second semester, I finally actually committed to a different church, which I was at for the rest of my uh, seminary years um and so but i got to see what what these churches were like not just on one given week sometimes you may have a guest pastor for example that Mm -hmm. comes and maybe you didn't even know it and that wasn't exactly what that church would be like otherwise (laughs) yeah um especially during covid everything's up in the air now yeah so give it some time um and and let it sort of sink in um I think that that's a helpful way to go about it. Yeah. And so don't be so quick to judge a church off of one service that you've been to, but give it a few um, and then prayerfully make a decision 
and stick with your decision yeah. as much as you possibly can. Yeah, jump into it. Into yeah. church life, it's uh, it's going to lead to unlikely friendships. Oh yeah, um, yes. Some amazing friendships and like uh, friendships with people who are poor and mm-hmm. people who are rich, uh, with people who are old and young, um, mm-hmm. with people who are new believers and have been believers for a really long time. People who are really smart and people who struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, to make simple decisions, like it's gonna be maybe maybe even mentally challenged. Yeah, um, folks, and, yeah. and often those are the most beloved people of a church, yeah, um, amen. and including in our own. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so, I, I hope that the encouragement is there in this episode to to dig in, not because it's just like this rule that you have to follow, but because that's where this abundant life in Christ is experienced is with other people. So it's not just a yeah. vertical relationship, but um, God desires that we have hor- horizontal um, um, relationships with one another, of course, as well. And we kind of all started started this by noting that there's these nomadic preachers, hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm sad for them. I'm sad for the... Um, Sometimes well, they even lack any connection to a church. Absolutely, and, and then they're just going to say the same things all the time basically because they're not really getting refined by a a plurality they go on a speaking circuit so every week they're giving the same message or whatever it may be yeah and and so i'm sad for them and that they're missing out on that but really also Hmm. for um for people who uh who listen to them to be uh aware that that is not your pastor Hmm. um that is not somebody who loves you in a, in a way that they know you and appreciate things about you. And so to give the greatest amount of authority to somebody who doesn't even know you would be a very dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, not necessarily a bad thing to give somebody authority who's very qualified to, to be a, a minister um, or a, a thought leader. But um, if that is where the highest authority is, then there's a disconnect there that that the listener is actually going to suffer from. Yeah. Does your pastor know you? That's another big question. But we we hope that this has been helpful. I guess our one simple word of advice would be don't be nomadic, but plant yourself. And when you plant yourself, it will take seasons for for fruit to come. But allow for that. Be patient. Be like the patient farmer. Mm -hmm. Um, And and. Give it some time and allow yourself to see how you have changed over the course of time by being committed to to a church, a church that sometimes may not look like you, may not reflect all the things you think or value, sure. but challenges you to follow Christ and to be faithful and to glorify God in all things. Amen. Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and have a great rest of your week. We look forward to resuming the regular tuesday schedule here of releasing podcasts um on usually even tuesday mornings and so uh thanks so much for your kind attention your Mm -hmm. encouragement along the way and god bless you yep grace and peace guys Bye. bye